Well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome back. It's great to be with you all. Welcome to those of you who are joining us in our traditional sanctuary. Welcome. And those of you online and on TV, really glad that you guys are here. I'm glad we have this chance to be together this morning, be connected this way, and grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been, had the chance to start off in this fall kickoff series called Vision2020.net. And during this time, we've been talking about the things that God is doing in our church family, the things that we believe God's doing here now and the kind of future that God is creating for us and calling us into. And if you haven't been here in the last week or two, I just want to catch you up real quick. There's a, I'm going to show you a little picture. I brought this up here, a little booklet we've got. Right in the middle of this booklet is a pyramid image. You can see it on the screens right now also. And if you don't have one of these booklets, our ushers have them in the back of the room after services or at the front desk. You can pick one of these up. This pyramid is something we call our vision pyramid or our identity pyramid. It helps us remember the kind of people. It's sort of a graphical representation of the kind of community that God has made us to be, a, a people who know and show that we reflect the gracious heart of our Heavenly Father who runs after all his lost children, including us, that we're grounded in some Christ-centered biblical beliefs and express our, express our relationship with God through these kind of First Lutheran family values that are on the walls in both of our worship venues pursuing the mission that God has given us to be and make disciples of Jesus. So this is a representation of who we are and who we're called to be. This is the long-term vision God has given us, is to be a people like that. And then up at the top of that page, if you've seen this before, there are these three blue boxes that represent growth areas. If we intend to be this kind of people, if this is who God has called us to be, then we know that there are some next steps for us to take, some next horizons that we can see. And we talked about one of those last week, how we're called to expand our invitation to Christ to become more and more a people who reflects the heart of our Father. I want to talk to you today about the second blue box there, the one in big letters that says invest. The longer version of that is a commitment that we have to invest in the relationships that make our church family strong. So I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about our experience and practice of community with one another. This experience of community together, the experience of being family together, this is kind of a basic human need to be in relationship with other people. I know I'm totally going to be dating myself here, but I wonder, is anybody else in the room, do you remember the old TV sitcom Cheers? Do you remember Cheers? This is way before some of your time, I understand. I had to look it up. It was like 80s, mostly 80s, a little bit of 90s. But, if you, but I actually checked with some of our 20-year-olds. They remember it too, or they know it too. They've seen the reruns. So uh, if you saw the show, if you've heard the theme song, there was this iconic theme song to Cheers, right? And this is one of those few songs that was able to give America new vocabulary. Like we learned something to say from this song. If you've heard it before, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I brought along a little clip of the song for you to hear. Can we, can we play that clip? Let's give this a listen. Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand if you remember that, but I mean, the 80s were gorgeous. Weren't the 80s just wonderful? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? I mean, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you like to be alone or get away, but sometimes there comes a time. We all want to go someplace where everybody knows your name, and even though they know you, they're still glad you came, right? People who know you and love you, and they want to see you. There have been studies done recently that show that soldiers who've been returning from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, that when they get home, that they miss war that shows that they were actually happier during the deprivations of war and when they were being shot at than when they get home. And those studies show that what they miss is the experience of community. That even in the midst of that, what they miss was the camaraderie with their fellow soldiers. And they're coming home, and even though many of them, not all for sure, but many are surrounded by friends and family, yet they're feeling alone. 
And I think those studies and maybe those soldiers in the studies are finding a way to give expression to something that a lot of us feel on a day-to-day basis but don't really have words to name it. That although we're getting connected to more and more and more people all the time, at the same time we're getting less and less connected to those same people. I looked it up this morning to make sure I had the most current number. Right now I have 579 friends on Facebook. The only problem is I'm not sure I know who all of them are. (laughs) Strange definition of friendship we have these days, isn't it? Let me give you a couple words that I've learned that kind of help describe the tension that I think we all feel and experience around this. Those words are network and community. Network and community. We live in an age where we probably have better networks or at least wider networks than maybe at any other time in world history. And yet at the same time, we have some of the least experience of actual community. And I think maybe the problem is that we're getting confused between what those things are and maybe unintentionally we're letting networks step in for us where community needs to be. But those aren't the same thing, right? I mean, if you think about it, networks, when you use the word network, usually you're talking about something that's, uh, that's really large, could be really vast, where communities tend to be smaller and more personal. You can be networked with thousands and thousands, maybe millions of people, but human beings can't be in community with millions of people. We, we just don't work like that. And when we try and we think that we're supposed to be, we wind up just feeling more and more isolated. The, the networks we find ourselves in, networks tend to be kind of passive, Networks, and whereas communities require your active participation. On a network, you can kind of be on the outside. You can watch from outside what's happening on the inside. You can kind of be a consumer in a network. So you guys even know the word for this when you're on Facebook but you don't contribute? You're lurking, right? I mean, how creepy is that, right? But that's okay with networks. You can lurk on the outside and receive the benefits, but you don't have to give anything back to the network. And when you leave, if you could leave and never come back, and really, nobody cares. The, the network is not going to be harmed by that. But in community, you're required to show up. You're required to be a part of it. Communities depend on you. They need your help. They need you to contribute. If you're in community and you don't show up, you never come back, the people in community will not only notice, but they'll be a little bit impoverished by your absence. It will hurt them that you're not there. And if they don't show up, it'll hurt you at least a little bit. And I want that for us. I think it's something we want for each other and for ourselves We want to be in relationships where if we don't show up, there's a risk. Somebody else might miss us. They might be impoverished by us being gone. I want you to be in relationships where if somebody else fails to show up, it'll make an impact on you. You might be impoverished a little bit. I mean, that sounds funny that we would wish that for ourselves, but the alternative is worse. It's the only way to be alive this way. The alternative is not to take the risk of being impoverished. It's the guarantee of living an impoverished life. Now, My point is I'm not trying to say that networks are bad or anything like that. I love networks. I'm glad for the ones I'm a part of. I think networks, honestly, are great things. They're important. It's just that we were also made for community. And we're experiencing too little of it. We need it, and yet we struggle to experience it. And it's against the backdrop of this social challenge, this societal challenge that we face, that we make this second commitment as a church family, this hill that we want to climb together to invest in the relationships that make our church family strong. But before I even share with you some of the things I see with that, some of my dreams for this, how I think this might work for us, I want to explain where this hope for better community comes from, where this commitment, what what drives this for us. And this hope and this commitment come from the insight and the example of Jesus himself. I think when you read the stories of Jesus' life, you see that his vision for human community underlies almost everything that he taught and the way that he lived and the relationships that he formed. And the story that we read in worship today is a great example of this. In some ways, it's kind of a typical story from Jesus' life. 
which means that it's like staggering and world-changing, but that was kind of typical for Jesus. There he is, and he meets somebody who needs healing. It's a woman who's been, she has a crippling back condition. She's bent over at the back, and she's been bent over and crippled at the back for 18 years. And some of you who are listening right now haven't even been alive for 18 years. I mean, you think about not being able to stand up for an entire lifespan for 18 years. And Jesus pours out this, this outbreak of the healing power of God, the new creation power of God, and heals her, and she stands upright. It's a beautiful thing. But he makes the mistake of doing this good thing on the Sabbath day in a synagogue. Right? And the synagogue leader who's there is frustrated with Jesus' lack of discretion. And he complains. He wishes that Jesus would be able to control the outbreaks of God's power to their appropriate time and place. This conflict, too, is actually fairly typical for Jesus. But then Jesus answers them. And I think that Jesus' answer actually reveals more than we might expect. I think it reveals more than maybe is initially apparent. Let me review that with you. It's in Luke chapter 13, and it's verses 15 through 16. This is what we heard in the reading today. The Lord answered him. Jesus said back to the synagogue leader who was complaining about this and everybody else who was there, you hypocrites, he said. Does, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? All right, you don't leave them just dying of thirst on the Sabbath. Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? All right, so Jesus says, if you haven't, animal, an ox or a donkey or something, you would go through the work of untying it and taking it to give it water. If it had needs, you would take care of those. And then I would expect the contrast that Jesus would set up to simply say, and she's a person, man. She's worth more than your animal. But that's not actually exactly what Jesus says. He uses a special term for her, a, a relational term. He calls her daughter of Abraham, right? Abraham being the patriarch, the ancestor of the Israelite family. It says, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be set free on the Sabbath day? Now, interestingly enough, it, it appears that Jesus may have invented this term, daughter of Abraham. There's nowhere else in the historical record, there are no precedents for this term. There are no daughters of Abraham until this day. There are sons of Abraham. There are sons of Israel. There are children of Israel. So that in itself tells you something, I think, about Jesus' priorities. But here in this case, Jesus didn't only give her. He wasn't willing to settle for giving her the dignity of an infinitely valuable individual. He wasn't just willing to say, she's a human being created in the image of God, though that in itself is mind-blowing. He didn't just give her the dignity of an individual. He gave her the dignity of a place in the family. Huh? Jesus made her family. That had tremendous implications for her life. Tremendous implications for her relationships, implications for the respect that she deserved and owed to others. Tremendous implications for the responsibility that they would have one for another. Implications for their relationships in terms of loyalty and care and permanence of relationship. He made her a permanent part of the family. He said she was a daughter in the family, not a disposable individual. Too often, I think, in our world, we see people in our relationships with them as disposable, able to be sacrificed for something else that we find more important. But that's not how Jesus saw her, nor what he named her. She was a daughter in the family. Jesus invested in the relationships in the family of God. And when we do the same thing, when we make this commitment, that's what we're doing. We are allowing Jesus to continue to work in us, in our hearts, and in our community. I mean, imagine. <laughs> 
Imagine that work coming with us. Imagine what could be. That's a, kind of my dream for the way this happens among us. I, I would like for, I'd like to see First Lutheran Church become the most thrivingly interconnected community that any of us have ever experienced anywhere, bar none. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see every person who comes through these doors or not even at this place but interacts with the gathering of the people who are First Lutheran wherever we go, I'd like them to feel more loved and cared about by their First Lutheran Church family members than by anybody else they don't call mom. And I might be willing to fight with mom on this one too. I want all our teenagers who come into this place to know that their best friends are here and that they've got their back no matter what and that they've got grandparents here in this place that they're not even related to, who are praying for them and who are in their corner. And I would like our older generations to know that their wisdom is still valued here and their struggles still matter to us and to people who are here to listen to them. I'd like us to have such a thrivingly interconnected family together that we would be compelled to write a book about it so other organizations would stop calling us on the phone to ask us how we were doing it. I would like the people on the episode of Cheers to call us the place where everybody knows your name. Nah, I don't know if we'll actually get all the way to all those dreams on this side of eternity. I don't know. But because I believe that is exactly the sort of thing that God has in store for us, the kind of community that God will create among us on the far side of eternity, I'm willing to give it a real hard go here and now. I want to invest in the relationships that make this church family strong. And as we've sat together and prayed together and talked together with some of our leadership teams here around church, we've kind of thought that we see at least two areas where we can invest our energies, where we can try to take ground in investing in these relationships. And the first one is the way we've been saying it is we want to create new webs. We want to create new webs of connection here in our church family. And I like this term, by the way, webs. I like, I like webs. We even have a new webs team on our staff that's been brainstorming some stuff about this. Now, I think in our church right now, we have really good lines of connection. I, I think we do pretty well, honestly. I think we have some good lines of connection. But I'd like to see our lines turn into webs. Huh? I'd like to see our community groups get bigger and stronger, for one thing. It's been such a blessing in my life and in so many. I'd love to see our community groups get more numerous and stronger. But I'd also like to see our Sunday mornings when we gather together, I'd like to see our Sunday mornings get relationally thicker. Huh? So it's not just me and Jesus getting together here on Sunday morning, but it's all of us growing spiritually together as one people. By the way, for those of you who wondered when the next name tag month was coming out, I'm not going to make any promises, but it might be next week. Just look out for that. I'd like to see our Sunday mornings get relationally thicker. I'd like to see you have the opportunity to build friendships and thicker connections with the people that we serve together with. Maybe if you volunteer on a neighborhood service day or you come together to host Project Home here in our church or maybe friendships and relationships among the people, other people who sponsor kids in Haiti or however it is that you serve, I'd like to see that become more of a relational web. We're gonna to continue to share testimony videos here in our worship services so that we have the opportunity to continue to learn one another's stories and build some kind of heart-level resonance and sympathy, even with people that you don't know as well as you might know others. I'd like to see us get connected with people who are just like us so they'll know what we're going through and connected to people who are not so much like us so they can expand our view and help us grow. I'd like to see us weave thick new webs of community here inside our church family. Webs are strong. Yeah. I actually went ahead and looked this up because I was kind of curious about like spider webs. I thought that might help us figure out what this was like. Did you know the average spider web for, for its own thickness is five times stronger than piano wire? 
I mean, that's, that's pretty strong, right? And there's a spider in Madagascar. Call me a nerd, but all I did was watch YouTube, okay? There's a spider in Madagascar that supposedly weaves webs that are 10 times stronger than the fibers of Kevlar, which is what they make bulletproof vests out of. And so I was thinking about this, like piano wire and Kevlar, right? I mean, those are kind of a nice pair of images. Webs of community can make beautiful music in our lives when times are good and help protect us in times of danger. I, think that's, I want that. I want that for us. I think communities can do that. And I want there to be webs like that for you, where joys are multiplied and sorrows are divided among us. I think in churches, sometimes church people think that when they're sick, when they're having sorrow, when they're challenged or suffering, they want their pastor to be there for them. And I want that too. I think that's important. I think that's a good thing. But I think that's just like one piece of the vision that we can live into. I mean, someday if you're sick, maybe now, suffering, maybe even dying. I hope that there would be a whole web of brothers and sisters in Christ who would be there praying at your side before our pastors could even find out and make it over there. I want there to be thick webs of community for us, all of us together. But not only do we need to weave some new webs of connection, but there are some particular ways in our church family that we would do that. And kind of the second area that we've been talking about is not only just the general creation of new webs to support one another, but specifically paying attention to the generations of our church family. We're an intentionally intergenerational family of faith around here. And so the second thing that I think we want to pay attention to as we weave these webs is to value and connect all of our generations, to value and connect all of our generations. And those words are related, but they're also distinct, value and connect. On the one hand, I think it's valuable in and of itself. It's good in and of itself simply to value all of our generations. You know, we value our children, for example. Right, all those kids who gather up here for children's messages and we're trying not to step on each other when we're doing that and the kids who are in front of you in the line for lemonade and cookies after worship and the kids who are running up and down the halls making a ton of noise, those aren't just somebody's kids. Those are seriously our kids. Those are our church family's children. They are our next generation and they matter to us. I mean, how they're doing matters to us. How they feel today matters to us. How their relationship with Jesus is growing that matters to us. And it's not just our little kids, it's our older kids and our teenagers and our students. And we are absolutely committed to reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after that, we're gonna reach the next generation too. And about that time, the language and the music and the style is all gonna change again. That's okay, who cares? The gospel's not gonna change and the need for community is not gonna change. But it's not even just about our youngest generations, right? That's kind of easy to talk about. It's also about our older generations and I know a lot of us here around First Lutheran and some of the circles I'm a part of, we've been talking about the need that we have as a family to make sure that we continue to value and honor and care about our elders also. And one of the reasons I think this is so important is because, at least in my view, I don't think our society is awesome at this. I don't think we're that great at that. I think our society is kind of better at leaving people behind, right? Disposable people, disposable relationships, that kind of thing. The church needs to be different. And the church gets to be different. We get to live different than that. So right, we've got widows and great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers as part of this church family. And you know what? Those aren't just somebody else's grandparents, right? Those are our grandparents. They are our church family's grandparents. And how they're doing matters to us. And how they're feeling today matters to us. And how they're continuing to grow in their relationship with Jesus matters to us. And when I think about this, I kind of get this image. I've been, I get this image in my head or in my heart when I've been thinking about this. And I, I, I get an image of Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes out there in our church lobby and 
Sometimes like in a care center somewhere nearby and I imagine Jesus with his arm around one of our great grandmothers and I just see Jesus going, this woman, this daughter of Abraham, she matters to me and she matters to us. I think what I'm trying to say in general with all this is that we don't get to pick a generation. We're not limited to that. We're not a church for young families. We're not a church for boomers. We're not a church for old Lutherans either because Jesus has made us family and families don't have just one generation in them. A family with only one generation is a pretty short-lived family and kind of an impoverished experience. But families have all these generations together and Jesus has made us family. And I think what God dreams for us and we wanna dream along with God is that we would live in the rich, complicated, sometimes challenging blessings of sharing life together in every generation. And that means we not only value all our generations separately, but it also means sometimes we want to connect our generations. We don't just want to be taking up different rooms in the same building. We don't have to do this all the time. It's okay to be separated sometimes, different needs, different styles, different times of day, different availabilities. That's okay. But we do need to get together sometimes. That's why on Sunday mornings we have our kids with us in worship for about the first 15 minutes or so of the service, even though that's insanely complicated. There's a real cost to pay for that. But we want our kids to be with us and worship with the older generations and be trained up into that. It's why our adult community groups get paired up with student age, teenage community groups so we can pray for each other and be blessings to each other. It's why we have grandparent volunteers at Magnuson Christian School. It's why we have teenagers events that are scheduled sometimes in conjunction with preschool events, especially around the holidays sometimes. It's because we need each other. It's because we need to value and connect all of our generations together. It's why we're planning a worship service for the end of next month, the last worship service, last Sunday in October. We're planning Next Generation Sunday. Our generations are all gonna worship together again. That's a beautiful and challenging thing and it always feels awkward to somebody when it first starts off, but by the end, we wanna feel more richly blessed and connected than we were even when it all got started. We wanna value and connect our generations as we weave new webs of connection and community here because we need to invest in the relationships that make this church family strong because Jesus makes us family. So I've been leaving you with a prayer at the end of each message in this series. And two weeks ago we prayed, Jesus, help me know and show the heart of God. We wanna be a people who reflects the heart of our heavenly father. We talked about our first growth area last week and we prayed, Lord, expand our invitation to Christ. I wanna give you one more prayer this week. I just hope that we continue to pray and have the desires of our hearts cultivated for what God is doing in us. So this week I wanna invite you to pray, Jesus, make our family strong. Jesus, make our family strong. And you can pray that at nighttime or in the morning or whenever it is that's a good time of day for you to pray. Heck, pray it 20 times a day. That'd be great, whenever's good for you. And as you pray this, you might be thinking if you live in a family, you might be praying some for your own family. That's great. But it's not limited to that experience. For all of us, whether we live with families or not, we're praying for the family that God's creating among, among all the brothers and sisters of Christ who are brothers and sisters in Christ, who are children of God, daughters and sons of our Heavenly Father. So we're gonna pray, Jesus, make our family strong. So whether you're in contemporary, traditional, online, on TV, can we just practice it one time all together right now? Let's say that prayer. Jesus, make our family strong. Amen, Lord, let it be so. Let me, let me pray for us right now. Good and gracious God, thank you so much for gathering us together. Thank you for making us your children. You have brought us to yourself. And God, I pray that you'd bring all of us closer and closer to you. And in the process, it seems that it'd be inevitable you'd bring us closer and closer to one another. God, I pray that you would go ahead of us by your Holy Spirit. I mean, do these things that are beyond us, that you would weave new webs of connection among us. And God, I pray that you would create in our hearts 
spiritual sympathy and value for one another across our generations, that we would value and connect with one another. Jesus, make our families strong. We live and pray in your name. Amen.